Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you this morning, Father, in this place of gathering where your people gather, uh, Lord, to worship you, to hear your word proclaimed, and Father, to fellowship together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you, O Lord, for the beauty and warmth of this day, and we pray, Father, for those places in this world where uh, there are uh, the challenges of natural disasters, places where people a year or two or three are still recovering from storms and hurricanes and tornadoes, places, Father, that will never recover. But we pray, Father, wherever, uh, wherever there is that need for your comforting hand and for your healing hand, that folks would place their faith in you and know that you are a God who is always with the brokenhearted. You are a God, Father, who watches over all of your children. We pray this day especially for the graduates of this congregation and community. We thank you for the schools and the teachers and the educators, Father, who have brought them up through the years, the parents who have worked with them and worried over them, and, Father, now have have seen the fruits of their labors. And we pray, O Lord, your blessing upon each graduate, not only that they would go forth and be successful in the eyes of the world, but, Father, above all, that they would be successful in your eyes and fulfill the purpose for which you created them. Father, today we gather in this place to praise your name, as now we sing together. And amen. Verses 16 through 30, and it can be found in the Pew Bible in the New Testament on page 61. This is when Jesus is rejected in Nazareth. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up on a Sabbath day. He went into the synagogue and he, as was his custom. As he stood up to read, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recover of sight of the blind, to release the oppressed, to pro- uh, proclaim the year of the Lord favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's sons, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that, assure you that there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe phantom throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to, to any of them, but to the widow of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there was many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All of the people in the synagogue were furious with when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on the town on the took him to the brow on which the town was built in order to throw him to the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Roz. 
Well, this morning, uh, being Graduate Sunday, I, I thought that we would look at Jesus the student and uh, the passage that Ron's just uh, read. I'm looking at his valedictory address. He's come back to his hometown. He has uh, taken his final exam out in the wilderness with uh, Satan. Remember, he's out there for 40 days, and Satan keeps throwing these temptations in front of him, and Jesus answers every time with the scriptures. But it got me to thinking, what do we know about Jesus the student? How did he get to this point where he knew all this stuff? And some people may just assume, well, he was the son of God, he's the living word, he's eternal, he's been around forever, so he just knew it. He didn't have to work hard, he didn't have to study, he didn't have to worry about this stuff. But in actuality, when you go uh, into the scriptures, you see uh, some evidence that that isn't the case. And especially in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says that Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself of all his earthly privileges, all his advantages, so that he might be fully human in every sense of that. Now that means that Jesus put aside all of his knowledge and power in order to be just like you and me. So he is born with that clean slate. And he's going to have to learn somehow and attain somehow the power to use God's word to change people's minds to bring them into the kingdom of God. Because that is his mission, to seek and save the lost. But how, is he, how does that happen in Jesus' day and in his time, in that culture and in that environment? And so uh, one thing I also uh, thought about that um, we have to understand, there is a difference between Jesus and you and I in our birth. When Jesus was born, he was born sinless and without even the stain or the twisting of the fallenness of sin within him. He had free choice like you and I did. But he did not have that, uh, that genetic uh, uh, twisting that causes us sometimes to be inclined to sin just by our very human nature. This is why we baptize infants, because it is the recognition that even in the innocence of birth, that there is still the curse of the garden and the fall within each of us that affects us. And sometimes it affects uh, children physically when they're born. Sometimes it affects them mentally when they're born. Sometimes it affects them in different ways. But God in his grace allows us to overcome and to, and to accept those at times. But Jesus is born without, without that inclination towards sin. So he does have that advantage. But he's given free choice. That's the whole thing of the testing in the wilderness. He could have chosen at any time to give in to Satan's temptations. And so the, the first place where we see Jesus in the, chap, in, in, in the book of Luke demonstrating his scholarship, that he is an excellent student, is in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. And, and you know the story, Jesus, uh, every year his parents are going to go for the Passover in Jerusalem. A, a good Jewish person and a good Jewish family, they're going to try as much as they can to be in Jerusalem. They're going to be part of that up to two million people that they estimate would be in a small city, Jerusalem, usually 200,000 population. Now they got two million. And so it's a very confusing place. And in the confusion of everything, because Jesus is 12 years old, he's at that transition time this particular year. And up until 12, a boy stays with the women. And at the age of 12, he becomes a man, and he stays with the men. So what happens? When the men, they're part of the caravan, you know, they travel together, they start back home to Nazareth, and, and the women, they start back, well, the women assume he's with the men because he's a man now. 
And you know, the women were right. He should have been with the men. Of course the women are right. He shouldn't have been with them. And, and the men are thinking, oh, Jesus is back with the women because that's where they used to, they're used to seeing him all the time. And so they get down the road a day's journey before somebody says, has anybody seen Jesus lately? And they realize they left him behind. A parent's nightmare. You know, there's, there's no, no amber alerts or any kind of alerts to, to go about. No, no cell phones, no way to communicate. So that whole way back, they're in anguish. And then they get there, and lo and behold, Jesus is at the temple. Now, there's only one temple, by the way. You know, we hear Temple Bethel, Temple this, we think, oh, they had temples all through. No, there's only one temple for the Jewish people. To this day, there's only one true temple. That's the temple in Jerusalem. And there Jesus is in the center of Jewish scholarship. The wisest Jewish scholars are all there gathered. And Jesus is asking questions. And it's interesting, he's being the student. He's not the teacher yet. But you can tell a lot about somebody by the questions they ask. And it says they were amazed at his questions, at his perceptions, and then about his comments that would come back. And so everybody was there just entranced by this 12-year-old who seemed to be uh, have a genius for scholarship and the scriptures that they had never seen before. So Jesus is there, and of course his parents come and they're relieved, but they're also a little bit upset with him. How could you just be you know, doing this? You're not worried about us? We're worried sick to death about you. What, what, you know? And so Jesus says, famously, he says, did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? This is one of those transition points where he's making it clear that I have a heavenly father who now has authority over me. Up to this point, his dad, Joseph, now we're not sure when Joseph passes away, but let's say that he he lived until the age of 12. Joseph is responsible for Jesus' teaching. So kudos to Joseph and to those who taught him that at the age of 12, uh, coming from that uh, town of Nazareth, he is able to go and to impress so much. So he, he, he moves through there, and then we have this gap, and now all of a sudden Jesus is 30 years old. And during those, those 18 years, uh, we have evidence that what Jesus was doing was living in Nazareth, taking care of his family, which tells us that Joseph may have passed away, and now Jesus is the, is the eldest son, and he has family responsibilities. That's a wonderful to think about, thing to think about, that God gave the uh, opportunity for Jesus to be that ordinary family member who takes care of his mom and his siblings for a while before he embarks on his uh, journey into ministry. So at the age of 30, finally, everything is at a point where Jesus can, can go off. And he goes and he is baptized by John in the wilderness. And John is that prophet of doom. I mean, John is, there is fear in his message. Repent. You know, and he talks about, uh, about fire, and he talks about uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the coming of the Lord in, in very frightening ways. And so Jesus is baptized by him, and then, and then he goes into the wilderness. It says, after the baptism, the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. Some people would say it, it, it kind of pushed him out into the wilderness, the way that word reads there in the Hebrew. And Jesus goes out into the wilderness, and there he is for 40 days with no food, and he's being tempted. Now, we have three of the temptations that Satan gives him. And in each case, he answers, you know, uh, turn this 
turn this stone into bread. Certainly you can do that. Uh, you know, jump off the pinnacle of the temple here, the highest point of the temple. Jump off that and see, see if God saves you. Isn't that his promise? That he will send his angels to save you? Satan is tempting him, and then Jesus is responding, you know, man does not live by bread alone. You know, that uh, uh, when it comes to that temptation to jump down, you know, thou shalt not test the Lord your God. You know, he's, he's coming and he's got several, several temptations in there. But I really believe that, that there were more, it's 40 days, more than just those three. And Jesus survives them all, and he survives them all by answering with Scripture. Now we think, uh, you know, that Jesus was the wisest of all mankind, and he's just pulling this moral stuff out of his head, and he's teaching, you know, he's, he's got all this stuff that nobody's ever heard before. But in actuality, everything Jesus teaches was already in the Scriptures. It was already there. We had been blinded to it. You know, the love of neighbor, that's in the Old Testament. Loving your God above all else, that's in the Old Testament. Being generous with the strangers in the land, people you don't know, being hospitable, all those things Jesus is teaching. It's in the Scriptures. Putting your faith absolutely in God. In the Scriptures. So all he has done is gone into the Old Testament Scriptures and he has brought out every depth of meaning out of those scriptures. And so he leaves the wilderness and he is, he is, is victorious over Satan. And it says he goes into Capernaum and there he teaches. You know, he's working miracles and he's teaching and he's getting reputation and his reputation spreads through all the land. Even back to his hometown of Nazareth. And so there we pick up uh, in, in Luke uh, after the temptation in the wilderness, it says Jesus returned to the power of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, uh, and the story of him spread throughout the whole countryside. He kept on teaching in their synagogues, and he was held in high reputation by all. Now, every, every town's got a synagogue. In fact, every place there were ten Jewish families, you would have a synagogue. And the synagogue is the community gathering place. It's, it's kind of like the community center over there if it, during the week, and it's, a, it's the place to come together to worship. It's the place to come together to study God's Word. But it's a gathering place all year. If you grew up in a small town or back in the olden days here in Verona, the, the church was the gathering place. Everything that was happening, it was going to happen at the church. And that's the way the synagogues were. So Jesus comes back to the synagogue, to his hometown people. And remember this, elsewhere in the Gospels it tells us that his family is not really wild about the idea that Jesus is healing people and that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And at one point they go to him because they think he has a demon that he's possessed uh, because of the things he is teaching. And they're very upset by this. So he goes back into this environment where people are hearing wonderful things about him. He's highly respected. He's, he's, it's it's kind of like he's come back from college and he finished number one in his class. And now he's coming back into his hometown. And, uh, and uh, they've, they've assigned him that Sunday, or Saturday, it's a Sabbath, they assign him the reading of the Old Testament prophets. And it just happens to be, you know, they had a rotation. It wasn't random. It wasn't like, Jesus, what would you like to read today? But they, had, they assigned him the scripture from Isaiah. God in his providence brings Jesus home on that Sabbath day to read that scripture. And you'll see the explosive effect that the scripture has at this point. 
So Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his habit, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read the lesson. As it was his habit, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. You know, Jesus had a lot of problems with the way people read the scriptures, the way they interpreted them, the way they were living out. And yet he still had the habit of going to the synagogue every Sabbath day. Folks, you may not agree with everything the church says. You may not agree uh, with everything you see. You may not uh, have the highest respect for everybody in the church, but you need the habit of gathering every Sunday to hear because, you know, that Sunday you choose to just stay home maybe the Sunday when God's word was opened up in a way that you needed to hear it. And so you hope God in his providence is going to get you there on those days, but it's much easier if you make it the habit, as Jesus did, to be in the assembling of the people of faith in your community. And he stood up to read the lesson. The role of the prophet Isaiah. Jesus didn't walk around, by the way. He wasn't studying God's word because he had a pocket Bible or he had it on a cell phone. And, you know, they, everything is written down in, in scrolls. And so they have to put everything into memory. Uh, as they're growing up and being taught, they memorize the scriptures. But he, he's, uh, he, there is this role that is given to him. And he opens it up in the passage it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who have been bruised, to proclaim that the year which everyone is waiting for has come. That's the scripture he gets. He sent me to announce that the captives are free, that the blind can now see that those who have been bruised and beaten can now have liberty. And that the time that everybody has been waiting for, it's here. And he folds up the roll and hands it back to the officer and he sits down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed intently on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture, this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. Now, he reads standing up, but then he sits down, and then he continues talking. Why? Because in their day, if a, a preacher like me, after the scripture is read, Roskett stands up, goes, reads the scripture, the preacher gets to sit down. I like that idea. I can just pull up a chair here at this point and just sit down. And he has a discourse. It's not a long sermon, but he makes some commentary on the scripture, either the scripture he just read from the prophets or from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible that are also read uh, in, in, on, at that time. So he has something to say. So the first thing he says, nine words right out of his mouth. Today, what I just read, it's been fulfilled. Like, wait a minute. And it's like us, you know, all the prophecies in Revelation, we're waiting for them to be fulfilled. Wait, what are you talking about? It's fulfilled today. And they're all looking around, they're saying, wow, this guy, you know, he teaches with authority, he has such wisdom and everything, but he's just Joseph's son. And they begin to undercut him just a bit, you know, and they're thinking, and he knows what they're thinking. And so he says, you know, I know what you're going to say. And he says, you know, a prophet is without honor in his own country. And this is where his valedictory address goes off the rails. You know, when he said, today this is fulfilled, that is, that is a dramatic point in human history. He is saying, I am the Messiah. He's proclaiming that to them. All of human history now is going to be different going forward. This is a huge moment. 
But then he knows their hearts, and he says to them, I know what you're going to say. And he, and he gives a couple of stories from the Old Testament where uh, somebody is, is uh, there's a famine, and the prophet feeds somebody who's not a Hebrew, not a Jewish person. And then another case where somebody is healed of their leprosy, but they're not Jewish either. And he says, you know, there were lots of hungry people in that day, but Elisha fed the widow from outside of the people. There, there were lots of lepers in the land in that day, but Naaman is healed, not one of the people of Israel. And what he's saying to them is sometimes God has to work his miracles outside of his people because the people have become so callous and so blind uh, that they don't appreciate or accept it. And he's saying that's what's going to happen here today is you're going to reject me. I will have no honor in my own country. He knows their hearts. He's saying, what you want me to do, because you heard about these things I was doing in, in, in the rest of Galilee and in Capernaum, you want me to work some miracles here to entertain you. You want something impressive. You want me to go to the temple and throw myself off so that God can, you know, angels can come and rescue me. That's what you're wanting. But that's not going to happen here today. Well, they get a little upset. I said this is the greatest graduation speech ever, and I think it is. Number one, because it's dramatically proclaiming something that changes human history forever and changes everything for us. And number two, because it elicits a great response. You always want to elicit a response. Now, in this case, you know, the response is extremely negative. And they take him out to this cliff, and they're going to throw him off the cliff at the edge of the town. Do you know what they do at that cliff usually? Day-to-day basis, what that cliff is for? That's where they go when they throw the trash over. You see, you don't want a pile of trash in your town, so you go to the cliff, you throw it over, and you'll never see the trash again. And that's what they're doing to Jesus. We're throwing him over, and we're never going to have to look at his face again. We're dumping him. But lo and behold, they get to that point and Jesus turns around and looks at them. And I don't know if it's because of guilt. I don't know if it's because they realize this, this kid, we raised him. Whatever happens there, if it's the power of the Holy Spirit, but he simply looks at them and he walks right through the crowd and away, never to come back. And so, folks, if you're, if you're a student, if you're a graduate today, I hope you have a better homecoming than that when you come home. <laughs> I, hope, I hope they throw you a party and don't try to tr- throw you off the cliff. Although there are parents sometimes who think about throwing their kids off the cliff, you know? You know, it's, 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 it's a mixed bag. Life ahead of you is a mixed, mixed bag of triumphs and, and successes and defeats and failures. But as you go forward, remember this. Jesus at this point is no longer the student. He becomes the teacher. And he goes from that point on, and for two and a half years, he is teaching of the kingdom of God and how to be part of that kingdom of God. And he has given all of you graduates an assignment because he's the teacher now. And teachers, that's what they do. They give you an assignment. And, and, and that assignment is contained in the New Testament. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, how to live, how to make decisions. It's in, it's in Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples. Jesus has an assignment for you. And today, he's asking you to take that assignment and to work on it. And the good news is, he gives you the rest of your life to do that. But you don't know how long that will be. But one day, he's going to say to you, we pray, 
Well done, good and faithful servant. You get an A+. You graduate with honors. Welcome. Welcome home. I pray that's what will be your reward someday. Amen. I pray as he sends us forth this morning that we will go where he sends us, that we will trust him every step of the way. And for our graduates, may his richest and deepest blessings be upon you. May he guard your every step. In the name of Jesus, we go forth and amen.